0: All right, Antioch kids, uh, teachers, you may be dismissed to go to your classes at this time. Teachers, we say to you, you are sent. Young disciples, there are sermon guides over here on the table uh, beside the side door. If you would like help following along, adults, you can grab those as well. International friends, that is English learners who are in our midst, you're welcome to grab one of those guides that may help you to follow along with us. Today as well. Well, church, let's jump back into the gospel of Luke upside down. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. Young disciples, you need that passage written down in your sermon guide, Luke 13, 31 to 35. That's on page 873 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. The title of today's sermon is Refuse to Run. And here's what I mean by that. For followers of Jesus, because of him, we can, two things, face resistance and then press into it victoriously. And we can lament resistance and then press into it victoriously. With that said, if you are able, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. If you are not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, and Michelle is going to be reading it in Spanish, but you can follow along on the screen in English.
1: Um, Lucas 13, 31 to 35. En ese momento, se acercaron a Jesús unos fariseos, y le dijeron, salte aquí y vete a otro lado, porque Herodes quiere matarte. Él les contestó, Vayan y díganle a ese zorro: Mira, hoy y mañana seguiré expulsando demonios y sanando a la gente, y al tercer día terminaré lo que debo hacer. Tengo que seguir adelante, hoy, mañana y pasado mañana, porque no puede ser que muere un profeta fuera de Jerusalén. Jerusalén, Jerusalén, que mata a los profetas y apatrea a los que te envían. ¿Cuántas veces? quise reunida tus hijos como reúne la gallina a sus pollitos debajo de sus alas pero no quisiste pues bien la casa que ustedes van a quedar va a quedar abandonada y les advierto que ya no volverá a verme hasta el día que digan bendito el que viene en el nombre de Jesús a ver, señor
0: The Lord has spoken to us let's say this together thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, thank you all for giving me space to be with my family over the past few weeks as we welcomed our fourth daughter, Madeline. I would say the Lord brought fresh life to me. If you've seen the GIF. I don't know if you have, but, but I've seen a few times since I'm a preacher. It's a preacher, he's holding his Bible, and he's, he's starting to do this movement on the stage, and then suddenly he turns into a jet and just flies off into the distance. That's what I feel like today. I don't think I've had three Sundays straight off preaching in the five years I've been at Antioch. So look out, y'all. You don't know what you're going to get today. I'm coming at you, Okay. And the way that he brought fresh life to me, as usual, was in some surprising ways. And one of those came from the film, The King. It's loosely based on Shakespearean plays and the historical King Henry V of England. And the story goes that prior to his reign, primarily in response to his father's tyrannical rule, he's a prince that spends day and night just partying. No ambition in life. And so when he unexpectedly and suddenly becomes king, he wants nothing to do with his father's wars. And yet in response to hostility from the prince of France and to doubt from the people of England, you can visibly see a change come over this young man. I mean, look at the slide, right? Look at his jaw. It's clenched tight. And at one point, after invading France... The king is standing face to face with the prince of France. And the prince of France and his army has the high ground and a vastly superior number. And the, king of, the prince of France yells to the king, Surrender to me! And the defiance never leaves the king's face for an instant. He then personally leads his army onto the field. And into victory. Now I finished watching the movie. And my jaw stayed clenched for about three days. Okay? It still might be a little bit. If you look closely. And it's not just because I'm a guy who loves a good war flick. It spoke to something deep in my soul. There is a defiant and victorious man down in there somewhere. And we see him enfleshed in Luke chapter 13. Here Jesus is journeying toward the city Jerusalem, which is more than just the capital of Israel. It's like the sun that all of humanity has been orbiting around up until that day. It's the pinpoint of God revealing himself to us. And the greatest way he reveals himself will take place in that city, where Jesus will die the most gruesome of deaths. And Jesus knows this. So there's every reason for him to run away from Jerusalem. And today's passage gives him two more good reasons to run away. First, the king of that region, Herod, wants to kill him. And second, the people of Jerusalem will want to crucify him. But the defiance never leaves. King Jesus' face for an instant. And here is God revealed to us. And this is our first application this morning. Face resistance and then press into it victoriously. Young disciples, you need that word for your sermon guide, face. So Check this out in verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, we don't really know the motive here behind the Pharisees' actions, but what we do know is that the death threat is real. This is the same Herod who had beheaded John the Baptist and was afraid that Jesus was John resurrected. He also didn't want any fuss stirred up in his region that might get the attention of Rome. And so the solution for Herod... Kill Jesus. And y'all, having a king wanting to kill you would be terrifying. The book of Proverbs says this in chapter 16, verse 14. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. But here's how Jesus responds in verse 32. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Now during the famous World War II battle called the Battle of the Bulge, where American soldiers were surrounded by German troops, a story goes that the German general sent a formal letter to the American general calling for their surrender. The general responded with a letter of his own, and it only had one word on it. Does anyone know what that word was? Nuts! That was the word, as in, you're crazy if you think we're going to surrender. Now, when the letter was delivered to the German general, he did not understand this language. And so he asked for clarity. And the soldier who delivered the letter thought quickly to himself and then said sir, it means that you can go to, okay? That's what he said. Now, it's interesting here how Jesus, dare I say, responds with a similar defiance, with a single word, fox. Here's, it communicates some or all the uses of the word in that Day And young disciples, you may want to listen to this part because you'll need it for your sermon guide. Why did Jesus say fox? What was he getting at? Well, a fox communicates to that person that they are sly, worthless, insignificant, dishonorable, and ultimately destructive. And then on top of that... Jesus goes on to poetically say, when he says, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow on the third day I finish my course. What does that mean? He's poetically saying this. Behold, watch. Watch me, Herod. I will keep doing my work until God says it's finished. Okay. In other words, I refuse to run. And what he's expressing here is contempt contempt. And this is rare form for Jesus. Some people would like to create contempt as like the primary fruit of the Spirit, but you'd have a hard time making that a posture of the Christian life because, you know, contempt doesn't quite make it in the fruit of the Spirit. But under the proper circumstances, that being some resistance from within or without that is commanding or provoking you to abandon the gospel... Contempt can be right. It can be Christian. It can be useful. And this is one of the things that, man, I love observing about Jesus. In him, you can see the full spectrum of human emotion as they were meant to be. So some of you all know that last year I went to something called Men at the Cross. And at Men at the Cross, and there's a version called Women at the Cross and a version called Couples at the Cross, part of what they help you to do is express a number of different emotions that, especially for men, we have a hard time expressing and process together what's coming out when we express that emotion. Now, can you imagine which emotion was the hardest for men to express? Anybody know? Give a guess. Sadness? No. Compassion? No. Love? No. No. Anger? It's the hardest one for guys to go there. Isn't that surprising? But here's the thing. It's a bunch of Christian guys in a room. Do you know what Christians don't know what to do with emotionally? Anger. Right? And we'll talk to our daughters when they get upset. And we'll say, is it okay for you to be upset? And you know what they automatically say? No, it's not okay for me to be upset. I know I shouldn't be upset. We're like, yes, it's okay for you to be upset. You just got punched in the face. You should be upset. Something's wrong with you if you're not upset. But it's not okay to then respond with violence. Okay? We have to learn how to be upset and to work through that in a proper way. So, so here Jesus, and we see him processing anger and expressing properly. And, and he, just, he doesn't stuff it down He doesn't stuff it down and so that later it erupts toward God and toward his disciples. No, no, no. He acknowledges it and he gives words to it. And this, this is not just Jesus setting an example for us. This is Jesus hitting the target that we miss and then living out a perfect humanity in our place so that he could be a perfect sacrifice in our place. You see, he's holding steady the gospel here so that he can hold out the gospel to us. And that's why he continues in verse 33. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Here's what he's saying. The reason why I will keep doing my work And you won't kill me in this region. Is because I'm destined to die in Jerusalem. You won't take my life from me here. Because I will lay it down of my own will. There. Let me ask you today. Follower of Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus acknowledged the resistance. But then pressed into it victoriously you glad about that today? Aren't you glad that the defiance never left his face in this moment? you glad about that today? Aren't you glad that he refused to run for you? Are you glad about that today? Follower of Jesus, do you know today that because of Jesus, you can do the same thing? What resistance are you facing today that is keeping you from becoming all that God made you to be? Where are you running, friend? Can you face down that resistance? For some of you, you don't have to look around to think about what that resistance is in your life. Because it's coming from inside you. You walk around, if you were to pay attention to the things that you say to yourself or assume about yourself, you are your biggest resistance. Okay, I heard someone talk about this this past week, and it stuck out with me so much. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The truth of what he means is when you, follower of Jesus, walk into a room, you automatically make that room brighter because Jesus is inside you. It's who you are. But the way we interpret that is... Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I better not mess it up. I better not mess it up. See the difference there? It's a perspective that you have toward yourself. You are your own resistance to the truth about who you are. Or maybe it's not just that, but maybe it's to the extent of your mental health. After what we've gone through over the past two years. So much resistance toward yourself. That's in there, that's not been worked through. Or for others, the resistance may be from physical realities. One being broken relationships that you have in your life. Literal resistance in the form of a person that discourages you, that hurts you. That may even be a relationship that's gone in your past. That person may have even passed away. But the impact that they've had on you continues on to today. Or that could be a broken body. Maybe you are going through physical infirmities that are affecting you in such a way that you just can't get over them. And it's discouraging. And there is that resistance in your life. For others, the resistance is from spiritual oppression. There is sin in your life that you have given into that no one knows about. And it's holding you up. Or perhaps you're distracted by the wrong enemy. Anybody get there besides me? You dwell on this relationship that's frustrating you so much and suddenly that person and those who they represent of their perspective becomes the enemy when they're not the enemy of you at all, but Satan who is working behind all of that. So can we, can we acknowledge this? As a church, we are collectively experiencing all of those things as a family and doing so in one of the darkest neighborhoods in this city. Can we acknowledge that resistance together? And then, by the power of Christ in us, clench our spiritual jaw and redemptively speak to that resistance and say, you tell that fox, I'll keep doing my work until God says it's finished, okay? I would invite you as a physical expression of what we're talking about this morning to clench your jaw with me for just a minute. Just see how it feels, just Grind those teeth for just an instant, okay? There's something that changes in you when you take that posture. And I am giving you the permission as your pastor to resist these things in your life with a clenched jaw for the sake of Christ. And say to those things, I refuse to run away from you anymore. I will defy you. Listen, oh church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. Now let the weak say that he is strong in the strength that God has given. And with shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand and not run against the devil's lies. Y'all, there's power in those words. There's grit in that kind of contempt properly, redemptively used. And it's like the battle cry of an army as they go on an attack. And y'all, I'm going to let loose in such a way that you think I'm going to run out these doors saying, Follow me! Let's take our water guns and charge hell! Let's do this! But you know what the next words of that hymn say? Anybody know it well enough to know what's coming? Let me read it to you. An army bold, whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness and this is the amazing turn that we see in this passage yes the man with the clenched jaw of a defiant king at the same time has the tender heart of a protective mother how's that possible What's well, the same thing that moves Jesus in both directions? Love. Reaching out to those in darkness. Another line of that hymn says this It's a call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. You see that? The defiant strength right alongside the absolute tenderness. It's really remarkable. And this brings us to our second application this morning. Lament resistance and then press into it victoriously. Young disciples, you need that word for your guides: lament. So you see this movement in verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills, there's another word, young disciples, the prophets, and stones... There's another word, young disciples. Those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you are not willing. You see, later in the Gospel of of Luke, Jesus is going to tell a story that we call the parable of the tenants. Now, this is not the tenants as in the family that's part of our church. This is tenants, okay, as in people who are left in charge of a vineyard that the owner planted and left and went to a far country. And when time for harvest came, the owner of the vineyard sent servants one by one to go and collect the goods of the harvest. And each time, these wicked tenants mistreated Beat, stoned, kicked out, killed those servants. One by one by one. And so ultimately this gracious owner does what? He sends his own son. Thinking, surely they will listen to my son. And when the tenants receive the son, they say to themselves, Ah, look, it's the heir. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. You know that story? Well, that story is the story of Jerusalem in miniature. You see, if you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see prophets. Those sent to proclaim God's word. They don't fare well, do they? And often the resistance to their ministry either takes place in or flows from Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the capital, the embodiment of the people of Israel. And so let me ask you, who was the one who sent all those prophets over the course of the Old Testament. If we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, then the answer would be Jesus Christ graciously is the owner of that vineyard, Jerusalem, that sent prophets over and over, even though they were killed and beaten and stoned and mistreated over and over. It's Jesus who sent them, who says now, how often would I have gathered you like a hen gathers her brood. That's what he was seeking to do with those prophets. Now to bring this into a a vivid reality for you, Katie told me this story earlier this year, that she was driving in the van, the girls in the back, and one of those things happened that's common in parts of Louisville. A mother goose with her goslings started crossing the street. Now, what did everybody do? Stop and let them pass, even though it takes time and we're Americans and it's hard to pause that long when you're on the road, right? Except the light turns green and the vehicle in front of Katie speeds off, crushing in front of everyone one of those goslings. Never slows down, never stops, just keeps going. She says everybody sat there in their vehicles, stunned for a long while because they witnessed it Not only happened, but then the results of what was left. Okay? Let me take that story a step further, hypothetically. What if that happened multiple times by the same heartless driver? By that I mean, what if that driver came back and took out one gosling after another, after another, until none were left except for the mother? That's the picture. Here in Luke 13, Jesus has sent one beloved servant after another to Jerusalem and they just crush them one after the other until none are left to be sent. Except for Jesus who will go himself. And so what comes out of Jesus as he knows there's nothing left but for himself to be crushed in Jerusalem as well? What does the king with the clenched jaw do in the face of such heartless resistance? He laments. How upside down is that? Now, that's what these words in verse 34 and 35 are about. And since Protestant Christians have long lost the spiritual practice of lament, let me me define it for us. Lament is a faith-filled complaint expressed to God instead of away from Him. It is a form of protesting our broken world, a processing of emotion such as grief, anger, and despair, and a place to voice confusion and doubt. If you did not know that there is a place for those things within the Christian faith, you do now. Now, my favorite way of defining lament, however, is this. It's an exhaust pipe. Got it? Yeah. So let me explain that. Lament is our God-given exhaust pipe. So I did this thing. I think I've told this story before when I was a kid growing up, spent a lot of hours at church while my parents were in there doing whatever, and me and my friends were outside coming up with creative things to do such as putting pine cones in people's exhaust pipes and what we wanted to do is hear them burst out of the exhaust pipe as they were you know safe distance away from the church to realize what had actually happened don't get any ideas kiddos in the room wherever you have there are no pine trees around here aren't pine cones out there so okay don't don't do it um but if you do that, if you, if you put something into an exhaust pipe, the engine will eventually shut down or the exhaust pipe will relieve itself with an epic burst. Okay? But when you keep an exhaust pipe clear, it relieves the engine of toxins and it brings fresh air into the engine, allowing it to run smoothly. Now, we might assume that a perfect person would never be troubled enough to lament. But Jesus shows us just the opposite. When he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's using his exhaust pipe. And again, in him, we see the perfect expression of human emotion. And it echoes another story in the Bible. It's a story of King David and his son Absalom. King David was a great king and the people of Israel. Really, in some ways, the the founder of, of, of Jerusalem's greatness by God's hand. And yet, as he got older his son Absalom decided that he wanted the throne. And so he won people over to himself, including military, and he sought to throw a coup and get rid of his father and ultimately kill his father and take his throne. It was a heartbreaking story. King David responds in kind by sending out his army to battle, even though he is on the run from Jerusalem. And yet he says to his army, please, please, whatever you do, I want you to be victorious, but be, be merciful to my son Absalom. The armies meet. Unfortunately, Absalom ends up killed. And they bring this news to David. David, it's such good news. Your army is won. Your reign has been protected and restored to you. Absalom is dead. And David's response is, "O oh, Absalom, Absalom. The wonder of this story isn't that David laments over a dead son. It's that he he does so over a son who had hated and rejected him. And he goes on to say, Oh Absalom, Absalom, I wish I would have died instead of you. What kind of love is this? It's the same kind that leads Jesus to say, to people who will seek to kill him and take his throne. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And we know that this is more than just him saying, I wish that I would die instead of you, because Jesus will die in the place of the people of Jerusalem. That is love. And like this is why I'm like the author in today's Confession. Like, I wonder, I question, I doubt, I run, but I keep coming back because where, where else am I going to find a love like this? But what makes this lament even more tragic is that even though Jesus will die in the place of the people of Jerusalem, he knows that they will still refuse his love. And that's what Jesus means when he continues in verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Within a few short years following Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the city of Jerusalem would be completely destroyed by the Romans. And more than that, rather than being the pinpoint of God's presence with his heart-changed people, Jerusalem would eventually become a monument to human hard-heartedness. And the picture here is an abandoned house. Not because it no longer has furniture in it, but because God no longer lives there. And Jesus is saying, if you could only see, it doesn't have to end this way. And he will pour out this lament again in chapter 19 when he approaches Jerusalem for the last time. He says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. I wanted to gather you to these safe arms, but these enemies' arms are what will gather you to themselves to destroy you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, of course, we can't imagine... Jesus saying to anyone like that soldier in World War II, well, you can just go to... But the irony here is that when a person is so hard-hearted that they refuse to take refuge in the sacrificial love of Jesus, then there is nowhere other than hell for them to go. And they've chosen it for themselves. And they will not know him until their knee bows at his second coming, and they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by then, it will be too late. I wonder if there is anyone here today who is not recognizing the time of your visitation. Over and over, Jesus is seeking to gather you to himself. But you are not willing. You behold the love of Jesus and you sense him calling your name, but you say, Ah, not today. Not today. Young people who are in the room, hear me out. Like when I was growing up in church, like you are, you're sitting in these pews, listening to these sermons, bored to death probably half the time. And something would start tugging on my heart, and you know what I would say? (sighs) I'll do it when I'm 17. I don't know what was up with 17. It's pretty random. But I just said it to myself over and over. I'll do it when I'm 17. What a risk that was. And I thank God that he got a hold of my heart at age 13. He broke through the hard hardness. He refused to run away from me. And by 17, I sensed that he had called me to ministry for the rest of my life. That's Jesus laughing. All right, you'll do it when you're 17? You got serious when you were 17. Okay? Who's missing the moment of their visitation today? Each time that you say no, it'll, later on, I'll get serious later. Each time your heart gets a little bit harder. And I say to you, it does not have to end that way. You see, Jesus, He lamented the resistance. And then He pressed into Jerusalem victoriously. He is not defeated by hard hearts. He knows that there will be many broken hearts who will gladly be gathered to him from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that's what I want you to see, Antioch Church. I wonder if there is anyone here today who besides me, over the past two years or more, the cares of life have so whittled down your capacity to receive and give love that you no longer lament over hard hearts. You don't hurt for lost people. Like who's one? One intentional gospel relationship you have where the resistance of that person to the gospel breaks your heart or any sign of openness in their heart fills you up. If you can't find one for whom to lament today, Then lament for yourself. Say, Father, why am I numb? Father, here's why I am numb. Take it to him and pour out your faith-filled complaint to him. And let him bring renewal in your heart as he is doing in mine. May God make us a people again who, like our Savior, resist Defy, lament, and then press in to that resistance victoriously. And you can do this because there ain't no king like Jesus. The movie about King Henry V, man, it stirred me because I think all of creation groans for the revealing of God's sons and daughters. Those who refuse to run. And the best that King Henry and Herod, for that matter, had to offer in that vein was in taking the lives of others. His clenched jaw led to the dead lying everywhere, including those closest to him. And this is the world's response to hostility and resistance to power. And you know, it has both its just and unjust place in a fallen world. So how upside down for the Son of God, To come with all access to power, all power, and in response to hostility and resistance, give his life for others instead of taking it from them. Do you know today that Jesus Christ pressed on to Jerusalem for you? Do you know that today? Do you know that he was condemned and crucified in its streets? Do you know that today? Do you know that he was buried in its bedrock? Do you know that today? And do you know that he rose in three days? Do you know that today? No one in their right mind would call this man a chicken. (laughs) But if they did, I think he would probably receive it gladly or with a wink. Why? Because here's what he was doing starting in Jerusalem and carrying all the way to Louisville, Kentucky. He's gathering his brood like a mother hen. All who would come, all who would come, and who would come in the spirit of Psalm 57, verse 1. Saying to him, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. Until God's wrath against sin and a world rebelling against him passes by, I'm taking refuge in Jesus Christ. And there are some of you here today who are trying to defy sin and death and the wrath of God in your own strength. And I will say to you, man, it is a valiant effort. But it's ultimately doomed. Why? Because you don't have the power in yourself to be victorious in that kind of fight. And if that's you, defy your resistance toward God today. And do that by coming under the shadow of the wings of Jesus Christ. Turning away from your own effort to be good enough... And hiding in him who was good enough for you. And then took your place on the cross and then rose again. To give you the power to be defiantly victorious. And if you have already done that. That would be you, Antioch Church. Followers of Jesus. Then let's press on victoriously. And let me get very specific in a practical application. Who's your one? Who's one person? You are praying for. Lamenting their hard-heartedness. Rejoicing in any sign of openness. Take that card that's in your seat or around your seat. Take it with you. If you have the name of that person, write their name down. Keep that card with you. If you don't have the name of that person, come to the Fall Soccer Festival and find one. Okay? If you can't make it to the Fall Soccer Festival, there's someone else in your life that God has placed there that can be your one. Your one. Refuse to run, church. And as a reminder to you that you used to be that person, that one that was lost, that Jesus came looking for through somebody, we come to this table. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. And As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today we are announcing that Jesus Christ is still gathering people under the shadow of His wings. And that's good news. Our invitation this morning, if you're a baptized believer, is to come forward with a broken heart. Open to what the Spirit has spoken to your heart. Responding to Jesus personally, but also symbolically by breaking off a piece of bread. Dipping it in the juice and taking it. There'll be gluten-free available on this side. And if you're here today and you're not a baptized believer, the invitation is not to some symbol. The invitation is to Jesus Christ himself, who went to Jerusalem, refused to run away from the cross, so that you here today, in this random place on earth, so far from Jerusalem, could turn to him and have a relationship with God again and be saved. And have a purpose in your life. Both now and forever. That's the invitation to you today. Now there will be people in the back to pray and talk with anyone who has any need. If you're like, I want to respond to Jesus. You can do that sitting in your chair. But you can also talk to somebody about it. Take a few steps, come to the back. And we'll talk to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. I just want to thank you, Jesus, on behalf of your people on behalf of those who have not yet known to praise you because they have not heard this good news and responded to it, thank you for refusing to run. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that if you had ran away, we could never be saved. We could never be good enough. We could never be strong enough. But you were. And we admire you for it as we consider it. And yet more than that, we submit to you as king, victorious, defiant, and yet tenderhearted. And so, Lord, we pray today that all of us would respond to you as you have spoken to us in your word and by your spirit. May your people be renewed today to join you in overcoming the resistance that this world brings, that their heart brings, and to press into it victoriously. We pray that those who are here who do not know you would respond, overcoming the resistance of their own heart toward you by putting their faith in what you've accomplished for them on the cross so that they might be saved. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Be king in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen.